0: Our text is uh, Revelation chapter 19, and we'll start with verse 7. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 is our text, and I tell you what, uh, I just uh, love the music today. I mean, all the choir, great, great, and then that duet, tremendous, I I just appreciate all of it today. Uh, Well, you know, our country's in a mess right now. Uh, Who's going to be the president? You still don't know. You know, I mean, Joe Biden is what the press is pushing for. Okay, but I don't know that all of us are pushing for that, are we? So, uh, we have uh, different ideas. You know, Joe Biden is a Roman Catholic, and the uh, Catholic Church now wants to give him instant sainthood. I mean, he raised three million people from the dead to vote. Uh, That's a joke, by the way, if you're a Biden supporter, okay? Uh, But, uh, you know, my king's still the king of kings, and nobody's (laughs) going to replace him. All right, so let's let's have a word of prayer, and, and then we'll get into the message for today. Father, thank you for the opportunity to delve into your word and see the hope that lays before us. I thank you for the good shepherd who leads us. Who leads his children along. So, Father, I pray that we would have the wisdom to follow that. Now, Lord, I pray as well that if there's one in here today or listening by internet or watching by, uh, watching by the internet or listening by the radio, I pray that today would be the very day they come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. In Jesus Christ's most precious and holy name we pray it. Amen. All right, we go to our text on the sermon I've titled, Thankful for What's Ahead. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 7, we read, Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. You know one of the favorite terms for Jesus Christ in Heaven is lamb. We sang, there's power in the blood. That refers to the Lamb of God. And all oh, the Lamb will still be so precious when we see what He not only saved us from, but what He saved us to. Oh, what a great thing that'll be. And so, uh, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the linen is the righteousness of the saints. Now, let me just interject here something. The righteousness is not going to be the righteousness that I I have. Matter of fact, I think the Apostle Paul wrote down the words that the Holy Spirit gave him, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness of Christ. That's what we're clothed in. And that's what will make a beautiful bride of Christ. Now look. I've been performing weddings for over 40 some years. Every bride is beautiful. Now mine was the prettiest. Eat your heart out guys. Scores points by the way and I need them. Um, But they're all beautiful. But this bride... Will have no match at the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, I, I find it interesting uh, story I heard years ago. I think I've shared it here before. But I thought it was quite apropos for this. Imagine you've got a man that's a multi-millionaire. And he's going to marry this lady, and he's met this lady, just loves her, but she is poor. than than a church mouse. I mean, she doesn't have anything. She dresses in rags. She can't go to have her hair done, and and it's just there, and and if she gets to shampoo it once a week, she's doing well. So, I mean, it's bad, but he loves this girl. And and he proposes marriage. She wants to marry him, and, and he says, I've got to go away for a while. But I'm going to leave you something. Because when I come back, oh, you can have the best dress, you can have the best hairdo, you can have the best of everything, and I will take care of it all. Just like he clothes us with his righteousness. Well, he says, I'm going to give it all, send it all for you, so you have it all. And so the day comes that he shows up for the wedding. And they get to the part of here comes a bride and the doors open. And she's in a ragged dress, the hair's all mess, shoes have holes in them, just just terrible, and it smells like she hasn't bathed for a couple weeks. And she walks down the aisle, and he looks at her and says, "What? What did you do? Why is this?" Well, I know you love me and you wouldn't care how I looked. No, that would not please him at all. When everything was set there for her, you know, the Lord has given us this book to tell us how to not be ashamed at his appearing. But I believe perhaps if we don't follow this book, the shameness will match that of a bride that had that opportunity and did not take advantage of it. So let's read on now in our text. Clean and wipe for the uh, fine linen's righteousness of the saints. Verse 9, And he saith unto me, Right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. For I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now let me just say something before we go to chapter 22. We think of this as an angel that is a spirit being. But this is an angel, the word angel actually means messenger, no spirit Beings were sent as messengers many times and throughout the Bible. But this messenger was a fellow servant. In other words, he is now in that new glorified body that Christ has given him. This is a vision of what John is going to see when he's captured up to be with the Lord at that rapture in the body that he will have. And he sees this one. And he's of thy fellow servant. Thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Yes, it does not tell us which one it was. But what we do know is that this was a man, a New Testament believer, a New Testament prophet. Because he was of thy fellow servants, of thy brethren. He's a brother in Christ. But, Let's go on to chapter 22, in verses 8 and 9. And I, John, saw these things, and heard them. And when I heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not? For I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. Now the prophets usually are referring to Old Testament prophets. They are there too. They have been changed. He doesn't know if it's Isaiah. He doesn't know who it is. He just knows it's an Old Testament prophet. That's all that counts. He has to be told that. But what is that new body that he gives us? that John, who was at the Mount of Transfiguration when there was Moses and Elijah that appear with Jesus Christ. And Jesus becomes white and glittering. And Peter speaks up and says, let's make three tabernacles, one for you and one for each of these. And and the Lord says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. Worship God otherwise. John had already learned, you only worship the Lord God. But even in seeing those two men and knowing who they were, and he started to worship and he was stopped, having that in his past and yet in this vision given to him of God, he starts to worship these guys because he's seeing something he's never seen before. What's that new body going to be like? You see, being saved, I'm thankful for what's ahead. And so, I want us to look further at Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. And he says, in 21 verses 1 through 5, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. People say, You mean no more sea? Man, I like the ocean. Oh, there's going to be a pure river of water of life flowing out from that, that special throne of God. And so, what we're seeing here is that there's not going to be a saltwater sea in that day. And that's good. Have you ever been swimming in an ocean you went under and you forgot to close your mouth? I'm so thankful it's salt water. (laughs) You know, no way. And we won't have anything like that. But at that point, even the greatest oceans of the world will seem like, oh, a corrupted pond compared to what we have in the glories of heaven. And so he goes on to say, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And the Lord is the one who went to prepare that place for us. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them, And be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death. Neither sorrow. Nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And the idea uh, that the, uh, faithful is that he will never change. That promise is good. It will always be true, and he's always true to his promise. Now, just think of that. What he's done for us. What he's done for us. But all tears, all pain, all sorrow, especially those that are in my age group. Some of you have lost a spouse. Some of you know what pain is. Not just the pain of losing someone, but the pain of body. To wake up in the morning and say, Well, that's a new one where didn't come from, you know? And, and, and then you have this, this sudden sharp pain. And you learn after a while, say, I wonder if that was serious. You know? I mean, you, you just get all those things that happen to you. <laughs> but there's no more pain. But the former things are passed away. Anything that defiles, anything that hurts, anything that brings grief is passed away. And all think about what we miss. The torments of hell. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. All death, the torments of hell. By the way, next week I'm going to go back on that series on the torments of hell. But I want you to understand that all those torments that are going on right now will be cast into the eternal lake of fire and will never stop. Will never cease. Death, eternal separation from God forever with no chance to cease to exist. With no escape. Oh, that's what we miss in Christ Jesus. In Revelation chapter 21, in verse 8, Think of those that go to that place, but the fearful, and the unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, the Greek word pharmakeia has the idea of black magic with the use of drugs, and idolaters, in this next word. And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, separated forever from God. Some think of the term liar as, well, man, you said murderers and whoremongers and those things. Liar's not that bad when you read this list. But it's part of the list. It's part of it. It's on the same level. It may not be thus bad in your eyes. But may I remind you that you nor I am the judge. It's not our throne that someone appears before. It's interesting If you look at chapter uh, 21 and verse 27, if you look back at it, and he says, of this great, beautiful city of God. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. They're the only ones that enter. If you're saved today, you're going to enter because you're in the Lamb's book of life. Oh, but those that are listed here. And isn't it interesting that he again includes the word lie. In chapter 22, verse 15, Talking to that great city, and then he says, "And without are dogs, and sorcerers, and whoremongers, and murderers, and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie." Now it's interesting that term "dogs" there. A lot of times in the Bible, people don't realize this. You say dogs. Back in that day, it was a term they used to speak of homosexuality. In Deuteronomy, it says, when you shall not bring the price of a dog or of a harlot to the place of worship to give. That was God's view of it. And God's view is right. And yet, as repulsive as that may be to each of us, that is not the same. It's just not the same as saying that's worse than lying, because it's not. All liars have their part in that lake that burneth forever and ever. you saved now. Understand, God never breaks His uh, promises. He never breaks His covenants. Regardless of what others tell you, there, there's a group, they, they're called Calvinists, but they tell you, the Lord broke His covenant with Israel. Really? Hmm. Philippians, uh, excuse me, Luke. Let me just think of Luke. Luke chapter 23, verses 34 and 35. Jesus now is near the end before the cross. And he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killed the prophets, and stoned them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And after A.D. 70, how long was it desolate? And verily I say unto you, ye shall not see me until, there's a point when you're, they're going to see Jesus. Israel is going to see Jesus. You will not see me until the time come when ye shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. That's the return of Jesus Christ. Now you think about that. If God can break his covenant with Israel, he can break his covenant with you about eternal security. But God doesn't lie. He's always true. He's always faithful. Oh, the liar, though, has his part in the lake. And so, we must think this through. 1 John 2, 28, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, ye may have confidence, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. As I said, he doesn't break his word, but he does chasten his own. He scourges his own, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 8. Israel, because of their rejection of his Messiahship, what happened? Well, a lot of Jews did get saved, but not the majority. And the scourging, their house was left unto them desolate. In AD 70, the walls brought down, they could actually see blood flowing in streams through the streets of Jerusalem. God scourged and chastened his own. And he will, he will. And oh, how much different it is for us who know Christ is our Savior. I mentioned something about our physical body. Some of us, when we get up, it stays with us through the night, too, by the way. But in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, for our conversation in that particular Time, now usually you see the word conversation, it means your manner of life. But in Philippians, you'll see it happen twice, and it has the idea of your citizenship. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, According to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. My friend, I don't want to appear before him ashamed. Saved, as First Corinthians chapter three verse 15, "So as by fire, I didn't go to hell, I didn't get sent to the lake of fire. but saved. The lowest place in heaven is still better than the worst place in hell, but it's not a desire to say, okay, I didn't do anything for the Lord, and this way I'm going to live for eternity, and everybody's going to know it. No, God has things for us. He even commands us, His Word, He left His Word, He's preserved His Word, that we might know what to do. For an example, in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, He says, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust. Don't try to make your religion, don't try to make your life look like the world and yet say you're saved. Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust. But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all matter of conversation. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. How about Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some is. Oh, my friend, we've become sidelined today as Christians. Sidelined by the temporal and the material things of the world. The discipline of steadfastness has been lost to the circumstances of life. We're investing our time into the temporal things of life instead of the will of God for our life. You see, Oh, yes, we love Ephesians two eight nine. 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. It's not of works. Because we'd boast about that. Oh, it's the gift of God. For the wages, what we deserve, what we have coming to us, what every one of us should suffer through, For the wages of sin is death, the outpoured wrath of God on us for eternity. But that day that Jesus took it on the cross, he suffered it all for us. Shedding his blood because the life is in the blood. And he rose up victoriously over hell and death. Applied the blood in heaven's mercy seat for us. Oh, he paid it all. Had it been you or myself, we would still be paying for it throughout all eternity. We could not raise from the dead. Oh, the outpoured wrath of God. That's why you should be holy, because this world doesn't understand the wrath of God, because they don't understand the holiness of God. The world says, well, you just got to forgive them without repentance and faith? Oh, no, that's not the way it works, according to the Word of God. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. My friend, I ask the question, do you know that as a Christian, as a saved person, do you know biblically, scripturally, do you know by your walk with God that you are doing what you ought to do, that you are doing the works God has ordained for you, and you're going to continue to do them until He says, come home. Am I fulfilling the will of God or by loud circumstances to say, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. I enjoy doing this. Look, I know I can't do what I used to do. But I do know I can still pray, I can still witness, and I can still go until the Lord takes that from me. But I can still serve God and so can you. Don't put the world ahead of God. Oh, yes. What we have ahead is wonderful. Romans eight eighteen, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. And that's so true, but The next verse says, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. That's when we're caught up to be with him, and we're changed, and we're changed to be like him. Oh, my friend. There's nothing that you will suffer on this side of heaven that you'll say, oh, it was lost. The Apostle Paul, before his salvation, he was a rich man. He was well-to-do. I mean, he was upper-crust society. He got saved and he suffered the loss of all things for his salvation and for serving God. And how did he look at it? Philippians 3.8. I count it all but dung. You, I don't have to explain dung. But that's what he called it. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Think of that. That tells you of the value. So, I think of my home in heaven. I think of what God's going to do with this body. I think of whatever thing I would lose on this earth. Is not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. Hey, look. You know, there are certain people, if they hear something negative about you, they're going to go around and tell everybody. And they'll even do that in the church. They'll go around, you know what? I think this. Hey, let me get a picture from the past. Let me show you something about the past. See? And they want to do whatever. But guess what? as far as the east is from the west, I will remember them no more. And the people that do it do not realize, number one, they lose reward, and they become saved, so as by fire, and ashamed. They're not speaking in love. They're not speaking the truth. Ours is to serve God. Ours is to love God. But let me say this. If you're not sure if you die today that heaven's your home, there is an eternal hell. You are tormented day and night forever and ever. There is no escape. There's no ceasing to exist. And yet, at the same time, the very God of the universe, our Lord God and Creator, send His only begotten Son to pay the penalty in full for your sin. Oh, but your sin, my sin, must have the blood applied to our account. And now you can have it, but you must receive Him as your Lord and God. You must confess, I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus shed his blood on the cross for my sin and rose from the dead. I want to receive you into my life as my Lord, as my God, as my Savior. I can't run my life, but I know the Lord can. I, Lord, I'll follow you. Whatever you've called me to do, whatever you want me to do, I'll follow you. But right now, save my soul. And guess what? He will. He will. He will. You come to him, he promised, he will in no wise cast you out. To do that, he'd be a liar, and God's not a liar. Hebrews says it's impossible for him to lie. It's impossible for God to lie. Because it would break everything that his holiness is. He set an everlasting covenant with Israel. He has set eternal life as a covenant with those who receive him. And that can be yours today if you'll receive him as your Lord and Savior. Let's bow our heads, please.